Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Let's give these people a little bit more respect and like have a conversation with them and share their story. That's what's gonna change this world, is realizing that we're all the same. So let's share each other's stories and then we can move forward. Welcome to the National Podcast of Texas. First, a programming note, hopefully short term, we've changed the show's production schedule. Episodes will be shorter with no set release day. And because of circumstances, interviews will be conducted by phone. We'll do our best to make up for the quality of the audio with the quality of the guests. I'm Andy Langer. Our guest this week is Tavel Bristol-Joseph. He's the pastry chef and co-owner of Emmer and Rye, Hestia, Kalamoto, Henbit, and TLV in Austin. In Texas, he's earned a reputation not just for ridiculously creative desserts and Henbit's popular and life-changing monster cookie, but in the larger culinary community as the pastry chef's pastry chef. Last month, in fact, he was named to Food & Wine's super prestigious Best New Chefs list, an honor he calls a symbol of hope because he grew up in Guyana, sleeping on floors and shuffling between relatives after his father, a drug dealer, was murdered when Bristol Joseph was just seven years old. Baking was something his aunt prodded him into, initially as punishment, later to keep him off the streets. And he says it saved his life. At 17, he came to America, attended the New York Restaurant School, and worked in a variety of restaurants in New York before moving to Tucson in 2006, where he began working with chef Kevin Fink, who became his partner in all five Austin restaurants. Earlier this month at Emmer and Rye, Bristol Joseph celebrated making the food and wine list with an ice cream social that benefited the Greater Austin Black Chamber of Commerce, who he's working with on setting up a Bristol Joseph Culinary Arts Scholarship at Austin Community College. As a black restaurateur, he's focused on developing more opportunities for people of color in the culinary world. And with the events of the last few weeks, using his platform as a high-profile chef to talk about systemic inequity and racism inside and outside the restaurant business. On our show, we talk about what he's overcome, how much racism, subtle and overt, black restaurant owners still face, and the pandemic and its effect on businesses that run on notoriously tight margins. This is Tavel Bristol-Joseph. Welcome. Do you remember where you were when you first saw the George Floyd video? And did it feel different? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, I do remember. Um, I normally would be uh, going through my phone um, and catching up on news uh, late at night um, after work normally. So it's anytime around... Three, two, three in the morning is when I would take, um, you know, take out my phone and catch up on news and things of that nature. Um, I've seen the Floyd video. I've seen, um, like, uh, you know, people talking about it a few times. 
And every time I've watched these videos in the past, it's always been a very hard thing to watch, right? Um, so I was trying not to watch it um, because every video that you see that has been where uh, people have showed outrage, uh, whether it's an innocent black man or woman um, getting killed or getting beaten or something of that nature, it hurts. So I try not to watch those videos as soon as they pop up because I just don't want to be in that headspace. Um, so I was avoiding it for a while. And then um, that one night I was just like, let me take a look at this video and see, like the movement had just kind of started, you know? So I was like, let me take a look, just look at this video and see like what everyone is so upset about because in, in you know, in your mind, that's always, it's, it's, it becomes, you become immune to it in a sense, you become numb to it and you just, you just know what the, how that story plays out. So, um, I took a look at it and, um, and I think that one, as I said before, was very different from the rest of the videos that I've seen. I've seen the other videos where, you know, someone gets shot, like they were reaching in the glove compartment or something, and the cops freaked out or something of that nature, or they turned around or they tried to run. Like there was all of these different things that I've seen in the past, right, where you're like, you know that someone was scared and they did something, and it's totally wrong. But you see it, and, 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 and there's this moment of doubt in there. But with the George Floyd situation, there was no doubt. There was no fighting. There was no anything, no disrespect, no nothing. And that hurt more than all the others that I've seen, um, me personally. Now, I haven't watched all the other videos <laughs> that have been out there. But I, this one definitely took me for a loop. I think it's interesting that at 8 minutes and 46 seconds, everyone's affected by this video. But if you're you, a large black man who's lived in New York and been detained uh, for things that you didn't do, you look at these things differently and you can't help but look at them differently than I would. Right, right. It's, it, you know, it's a saying, like, I've, growing up in Brooklyn um, and being around people, you know, I've been around all types of people. Um, I have friends of all walks of life. And there's this thing of where, the, you know, and I'm sure you've heard it before, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Mm -hmm. And, but, but the, the flip side to that is, is the bigger you are, the more scared of people are of you and the more likely for you to die, right? Because they will do anything for you not to do something to them. So as a big man, you see another big man, you see when they're in a different position, then you are like already kind of fearing the worst because you know that if that may, if 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 someone sees the size of that man, they're they're a little bit more afraid and they're a little bit more likely to do something extreme because mm -hmm. they are so afraid of that guy. And and that guy is if he looked like my size, he looked like he could have been my brother. 
You know what I mean? And that's what was like, holy shit, like this is this is a different thing right here. This is not normal. It's interesting. I guess I've never even thought of it that way. You think of light skin, dark skin, but size is definitely an issue too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, be, uh, I, I am very aware of my size, and I am aware that it's a very dangerous place to be also because people are easily intimidated by you, and you can't move the way a regular person moves. You just can't. You could try and act like it's not a thing, but it's reality. You cannot raise your voice the way a regular person raises their voice. You, there are certain things I have to monitor because I need to be aware. And I learned that working in the kitchen. I need to be aware of myself, and I need to be aware of the power that I possess. And people, because people are aware of it, so I need to be aware of it. When you come out of the kitchen and you go table to table at fine dining restaurants, uh, you told Austin Monthly recently that most of the time people don't even know that you're the owner of the restaurants. And then when you tell them, they think you're joking. Yeah. yeah. Andy, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. And it's happened so many times to me. Uh, you know, it's happened at Emmer when I when I went out and dropped off a dessert. And this woman, she was trying to be really sweet and she was trying to be really nice. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy that, you know, they have a black man working back there. Jeez. And then she proceeded to tell me that how and she's like, where are you from, the Caribbean? And I was like, yeah. She, and then she proceeded to tell me how um, she has a maid that is from Guyana. And it's so awesome and how great a people they are. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm like, what does this have to do with this dessert that I'm presenting to you? And secondly, you don't, you didn't think of me of anything else other than just a man that was a black man that was working back there. Um, and numerous, that is just a couple of examples, right? But, and then the other one was at Hestia. And that happened so many times because Hestia, I was a little, I'm, I'm a little bit more like in front of people and I'm going and talking to tables and things of that nature. And it's always this surprising moment when, when you, when, whether it's an issue happening at the table or they're enjoying themselves and they're having a great time. And then you say, yeah, I'm one of, oh, I did not know that. And, or they're, they didn't expect it. And then, you know, there's the moments where it's blatant disrespect, where the gentleman was straight up laughing to my face. And I was like, hey, man, well, yes, I am one of the, because he's like, I want to talk to one of the owners. And I'm like, you're talking to him. And he said, uh, yeah, you're funny. And I'm like, no, I'm not funny, man. And why are you laughing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so those things happen all the time and you kind of, how do I put it this way? Being an African-American man, you know that you're, you're not dealt the hand that society views as the best hand, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just be transparent. You're aware of the prejudice and racism that you're going to face because you're facing them. Some people become numb to them and it's, it is what it is. And, and being in the hospitality industry, you become numb to it. It is what it is. You smile and you, you brush it off and you continue to move forward. 
um, because you are aware that people are who they are and you cannot change them. Some people fight and argue. I choose not to because the end of the day, my mindset is I need to survive, right? I need to figure out a way on how I can get past this situation because my goal, my purpose is bigger than this situation. So I don't have the time to argue and fight with people or, or use my energy in a getting, by getting angry and frustrated with someone if I personally know that they're just a barking dog on the way to my success, right? Mm-hmm. So I've, I've just become, I pushed it aside and you continue to move forward. But I was, so like I was talking to someone the other day, it's just like having paper cuts, right? Where you're constantly being, you know, these little comments, these little jabs. Sometimes people, honest to God, don't even know what they're saying or they're not even aware of the fact that they are being racist or prejudiced. Some people just don't. They think that they're being sweet, like that woman by telling me she has a maid that's from from the Caribbean. I think she thinks she was being sweet to me, mm-hmm. and she didn't realize that she was being racist. Um, but again, you've as a human being, you've like, hey, I need to continue to move forward. So my mindset is to survive. When the cops pull me over, and I'm like, yes, sir, no, sir. I'm not trying to be respectful to them because I respect them. I'm being respectful because I'm trying to survive and get out of that situation because I know what the possibilities are. And and I don't want to be a statistic to that. I don't want to die. So I've always been that mindset of I just need to survive. So I'm going to figure out a way on how I can move past the situation and all this bullshit that's happening, all the shit that you can tell me about me and, and all that. I'm just going to continue to move forward because I'm not going to let that stop me from the goal, which is taking care of the better people and not being focused on all these negativities. You know what I mean? Not that it excuses the indirect racism, but you do work in an industry where not enough people of color have ownership stakes or even positions of power in the kitchen. Right. And, and that, that is an issue. Right. And, and then you'd say, why? Because that's the question I ask. I ask myself, why? So Andy, let me ask you the question. If you had to come up with an answer, why would you think that would be the case? Because I think culinary schools are expensive. I think, There's probably so the cost of entry to a low paying job is high. And there's probably a certain amount of baked in racism in any kitchen environment. Are those two of the factors? I think that that is absolutely two of the factors that are there. I think the other part is there's. There's not enough. Uh, now there is, right? Now there is. But before, I would say when I was in culinary school, there wasn't enough uh, black chefs out there that you looked up to, right, that mm-hmm. you saw as uh, someone that you wanted to be like. So you didn't even see yourself in that position. Now, that's not excuse and, you know, not trying. But I definitely think that there's a lack of um, in that area because culinary school is very expensive. And there have programs that have developed in the past 10 years, 10 to 15 years, that have helped uh, minority kids to be able to you know, afford to go through. But before that, I know when I was going to school, like it, that's a $35,000, $40,000 debt right there. 
And no low-income family is going to do that. They're, they're not even trying to invest in that. They're like, no, if you don't have a scholarship to pay for everything to get you through, I'm not paying for that. Your parents are saying that. You know what I'm saying? So what are they going to do? Go do sports. Go be an athlete or some shit like that because that's going to help you to get those scholarships where I don't have to pay for your college. Um, so so there are those differences. They're not giving away scholarships for grocery school and high school. And even down the line, opening a restaurant takes capital and a bank willing to lend it. And there's racism baked in that, too, I imagine. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's why my fight is not necessarily the people. My fight has always been systems, right? Because because of my business partners and and our sense and how we operate, we operate our business differently. We operate our business on a team. But am I am I positively sure that I was going to be able to walk into to move to Austin, Texas, and open up uh, Emerald Ride by myself, just me? Am I positive that that would have been a reality if I wanted to? I don't know. I honestly don't. So that is reality. No matter how talented you are, no matter what, there's a reality to the fact that, you know, these these are issues that have been looked at and looked past for way too long. So now I'm happy that we are having these conversations and I'm happy that we're looking at the systems because I think it's the systems, not the people. The people are governed by the systems. The people are protected by the system. The people follow the systems because they believe in the system, right? They've been, you've been trained to believe in the system. They're, they've proven that the system works, so people believe in the system. Not too many people want to challenge that. So if we change the system, I think we can change a lot in this country. And that's one of the things that this movement, even if people aren't out in the streets protesting six weeks from now, we're having these conversations about the trickle-down of those systems within a bunch of different industries and cultural institutions. hundred percent. And that is the great, to me, that's the goal. Um, that's, that's the goal and that's always been the goal. And, and if you look at my, my journey, uh, opening and owning a restaurant is a part of the change in the system because I realized I cannot change the system from the outside. So being an owner, gives me that ability to change the system. And I'm not being prejudiced to anyone. I'm being equal. I'm not favoring anyone. I'm being equal. And that's what I want to be. Because that's all I wanted when I started. I didn't want you to love me because of what you wanted me to be or what you thought I was. I wanted you to love me and understand what I did and how I did what I did because of what my work proved. Um, and that is the key for me because everything that you earned, you earned it. No one has given it to you. And I think that's more valuable. No one can take that from you. The accolades and the lists and the celebrity chef culture, that's all a double-edged sword. But I imagine if you're looking at this through the lens of representation and there being young people who can see a black chef in an ownership position, 
then that stuff's important. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that what it does is, it, it again, it opens you up to the masses. So it's a double-edged sword depending on the perspective on which how you look at it, right? If you are an individual that wants to create change and want to turn and move the needle to better the people around you and your community, then, yes, these accolades and this platform that you're given with the accolades, it's so valuable and you cherish it and you use it wisely and you lend your voice to the right reasons and and you change from within because you now realize that a lot of more people are going to listen to you if you're a selfish individual and all you're focused on is the win 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 and more for on a personal level than on a human level, then you, if you're not trying to spread humanity, then that is the problem. Um, so, but the problem, but the other side to it is because of these accolades and stuff, it actually, as a human being, it actually forces you to become that, right? To become a little selfish. It actually lends the ability for you to be able to do those things because you're all of a sudden, everyone is reaching out to you and all of a sudden, everyone is telling you how amazing you are. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to know you and be a friend. Um, so as humans, people that are uh, a species that is always looking for acceptance and looking to be valued, it's easy for you to get caught up in it, yes. But if you surround yourself with the right people and you're and you you stay true to what your purpose is, you can actually use these lists and these accolades to for the greater good. And that's what I try to do, and that's what the people around me try to do. Um, that's why I'm able to do that because I'm I'm there's people that I have taken positive from them and the things that I think is very important in life. And I try to use those things to better myself. If we look at your story, uh, your father was a drug dealer. He died when you were seven. Your mother was stuck in America. You were raised by an aunt. Uh, Meals weren't a regular thing. How much does having to overcome all that still affect your day-to-day outlook? Uh, Yeah, well, good question. You know, I'll say this. Um, Those, I am going to be scarred for the rest of my life. I'm aware of that. There's going to be some point maybe later on in my life where I'll need therapy because I have never had therapy for the things that I've been through. And... um, I I'm, I don't think that I'm normal in a sense, right? There's things in my life that are not perfect because of what I've been through and what I've seen. So I am scarred, yes, without a doubt. Um, the scars that I have have uh, led me to be cautious. It, it gives me the ability to read people, read a room, because I had no choice. Um, I had to know what was going on around me because the information wasn't there. Um, it's led me to I, the first time I think I've ever felt dislike 
and hatred towards someone was when my father died, right? Because I'm like, who, the, who killed him? And who, how dare they take him from me? So uh, at that young age, you don't, you, you never want someone to ever have to, a child to have to go through anything like that and feel that loss and feel that emptiness. I haven't cried to this day for my father passing away um, because, uh you know, it's like losing your breath for the man for a moment, right? You, you, it's like when you get hit so hard that you, 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 as a kid, and you try to cry and nothing comes out because it leaves this like hollowness inside of you. And I still feel that to this day every time I think about my father. Um, so yes, I am a hundred percent scarred. But the beauty of Everything that I've been through, right? Um, all these different, uh, living at different family members' houses and how I, I was treated, some positive, some negative. What it did, it made me actually afraid of what that life is, right? Uh, instead of, like, for me, it was like I never wanted to be a drug dealer hustler. Some people may have said, yo, my father was that, so I want to be that. And I had every ability to, in my life to be that, right? Because I had the pedigree already in a sense where the pe there were some people in my life at that time that was part of that, that I could have easily tapped into that. But it scared me because of what happened to my father. And I said, I would never want to be like that because I would never want to hurt people around me that that I cared about truly. So all these things that have happened, every time someone was mean to me, every time someone showed some type of prejudice to me, every time someone was racist, anything of that nature, what it did was it made me not want to be like them. It made me not want to take that route. It made me not because I wanted to learn. I wanted to be better. So I made the decisions. I made the choices that I've made because of the routes that I didn't want to go down. And I've always used other people's uh, life and experiences and also mine to help me to navigate through this world, man, because you have the choice. I believe that you have a choice to make no matter what age you are. You have the choice to make. And am I going to use this as an example or am I going to use this as a motivation to go through this? Or, or, you know, an example not to do it. And I've made the decision and I've made the choices to say, I will not let these negative things define who I am. I will not let my bad experiences that I've been in my, that, that I've been through in my life define who I am. It's actually going to help me to be a better person. And it's going to show me that that is not the route for me to go. So it actually scared me. And that's why I'm who I am because I'm aware of, as, as we were just talking about, I'm aware that I'm a big man. I'm aware that I have power. I don't need to show that. I don't want people to be scared of me. I don't want to be in that position. I want to make sure because I know what my capabilities are. I know what my anger issues are. I know those things about myself. If people, I think what happens is when people get attracted to things like that is because they're not close enough to it to be to not to understand it. They're in, they're removed enough from it that they could think that that's cool. But when you are actually living in the life you see the negative part of it, and that ain't cool. But if you just want to look at injustice, there's nothing more unjust 
then two things you have zero control over, the fact that you're a large and black man, that you have to then adjust everything you do around. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, honestly, it's like, but you think about it, right? Like, it's the same thing when you're dealing with, with police, right? Like, you have no control. And you've been in those situations so too many times and so many times that you've accepted that you have no control over it. And you just think about how do I survive? So I think that, it, again, it's that human instinct in which you adapt. So you know, I know I have no control over it. And I know I can't. I am already who I am. And I'm not going to be... I'm not going to use it to go into depression. I'm not going to. I'm not going to let you know someone else bring me down. So I'm going to figure out how to utilize this and make this to work. That's why when you see me, Andy, I'm smiling a lot <laughs> because I know I know I have to. It's, it's it's now it's part of my DNA. I don't even try anymore. I just smile <laughs> because it lightens up the room and makes everybody feel a little bit more comfortable. What do you make of these black-owned restaurant lists that we've seen emerge? Um, I think that, you know, when I when I when I when I first saw it, I was like, "What? What is this?" Right? And and honestly, I was a little bit uh, like, not. I didn't really care for it much. Um, because I, I, the, the person that I am, I always look at things deeper than most people do. Because I pay attention to details, and I like to think about things five, six, seven, eight weeks, months down the line, not just today. So when I saw it, I was like, man, like being on a list today, knowing that we have a pandemic going on, knowing that we have uh, riots and, and protests going on, knowing that we have a presidential elections coming up, knowing that we have all of these things going on, right? Knowing that we have all these awards. We got James Beard. We got all of these things that are coming up. That's how my brain works. I'm like, how long is this going to last, <laughs> right? And then the other side to it was like, why, why didn't we do this shit way before? Why is this shit just coming up now? Just because it's popular? That's why we're talking about it? It doesn't make any sense to me. That was just my, my first emotion, my first feeling towards it. But after some thought and conversation, I'm like, okay, well, I get it. There's a lot of people that – I, I got to remember there's a lot of people outside of my bubble that, don't, that didn't know, that are now informed, right? So now you know that these businesses are black-owned. So now you have no excuse not to go support them because they were on every list, right? right. So I get that perspective now. The other perspective is that, okay, it moves the needle where people are having conversations and it's now in the open. So is that a positive thing? Absolutely, it is a positive thing. So all of those things make sense. But the other side to it, which I mean personally now, because I feel like my I'm in a different position in a sense, right? Where my restaurant is already known. Everybody knows it. So now for me, it's like, now, now the next step is now that you know that this restaurant is black owned, who are these people? 
why are they here? Because the key thing in hospitality that that I know for sure is that people don't buy what you have. They buy why you have it. People come to your restaurant and they will try something because they saw it on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. They will never go back because the product wasn't great, right? Because Mm -hmm. they base their decision solely on the product. If I know who you are, I know what you're about, I know your passion, I know what you want to achieve, I know your struggles, I will come back to your restaurant every single day, even if the food is not that great. (laughs) Just because I believe in you. And I'm hoping that this one time I show up, that the food is going to hit the mark that I was expecting it to hit. But I'm still going to come back. People come to my restaurant so many times because me and them had a great conversation, and we vibed. And they come back just because we were chilling. I don't know if I hit the mark every time with the dishes. I honestly don't know. And I don't expect to, you know, blow people every single... I'm not for everybody. But as a person, you believe in me, you understand who I am. And that's what I wanted to portray more than anything else, is tell these people stories. Get to know them. Don't just call them and say, hey, I'm trying to write a story. Tell me a story. Actually go into the restaurant. Try the food. Ask them why they came up with the dish. Have a conversation with the owner. Get to know these people. So then when you bring them out and you show them to the world, people can believe in them instead of just buying one of their dishes and then never going and visit them again because they have moved on in their lives. So I want that. That's that's the, what the main message I wanted to say was: Hey, like let's let's give these people a little bit more respect and like talk to them and like have a conversation with them and share their story because I think that's what's going to change this world is realizing that we're all the same. So let's share each other's stories and then we can move forward. I have a feeling that the answer is going to be those kind of conversations, but. During the pandemic, what aspect of this business did you wind up missing the most? Um, there's two things I think is that um, I think me personally, I've missed the connection with our guests, right? right. I've missed the, the feeling comfortable having a conversation with someone, even now, right? Even our friends that we see. Right. Like we did the ice cream social mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to hug people. <laughs> I wanted to show them how much I love them and how much I miss them and how much I care for them. But I couldn't. And, and now it's this uncomfortable thing where you see someone that you even consider your friend, that you are like nervous. Like, should I hug you? Should I, I don't even know how to act no more. Like, I, like, it's like, it's like that first date again. I don't know if I should shake your hand. I don't know what I should do. And I miss the being comfortable with people. Now I'm uncomfortable with people. And, and that's what I want to change as fast as possible. So I want this pandemic to move forward because my life, my, I'm a servant to, to, to people and I, I can't comfortably connect with people if I can't feel comfortable around them. doesn't matter how great the conversation is. If we're both uncomfortable, there's something else that's just making it not go to the next level. And um, that aspect of it, I miss a lot. Um, 
yeah, and, and on a professional level, I think, you know, we, we just miss the energy and the smell and the taste of what a BC restaurant looks and feels like, in our opinion. You know, that energy that pe- where people is in, the house is packed, you're hearing the spoons and you're hearing the conversations happening and you're seeing people smiling and swirling their glasses around and things of that nature. You're seeing the interaction with the guests and the server and the food. Um, now it's a little slower. It's a little bit more reserved. So it's a different thing. And I miss that. How stressful have the last couple of months been knowing that maybe knowing that you'd be able to come back, but a bunch of restaurants obviously won't be able to, it's exposed how razor thin the margins are in the restaurant business. And there's the theory that it's going to be the chains that survive and that the real sort of mom and pop and especially ethnic restaurants are at great risk. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yes. It's a really sad thing, right? Because this pandemic has exposed a lot, right? And it's exposed a lot in so many ways in a sense of, um, those mom and pops that was just getting by that, you know, could have barely, you know, barely surviving going through that process. Um, it, it definitely broke them. Right. And they're not going to return. And then there's the other bigger corporations that was rolling high. And we all thought that they were making a ton of money and we thought that they were doing great, but the margins were so slim that any shift in the system, um, they are not able to maintain. Um, the funny thing is this, um, not funny, but the, the thing that I always think about and I've always thought about, um, not only in this pandemic, but before, the restaurant business is a restaurant business, right? Mm-hmm. Someone like myself that's an artist, I, I have to be awakened by that. And I was awoken to that about six, seven years ago. This is not an arts and crafts school. This is business. You have to operate your restaurant as a business. And if you don't understand business, you probably shouldn't take that responsibility on and own that restaurant. You should probably continue to work for someone else. Because when you get into the restaurant business, your responsibility is for a lot of people. And you cannot build your budget and you cannot build your business upon one season. You cannot build your business upon being successful and from the day that you open your doors. You cannot build a business on that. And there was an, there was an issue that I was, I was watching and a trend that I was watching way before this where there's a lot of chefs that are really good cooks that they, they got connected with a business person, someone that understands business. And they say, hey, I'm going to open a restaurant and you're going to run it and you're going to be the chef and you're going to be chef owner. And here is this amount of percentage. And what happened is the chefs that didn't really understand business, they just understand how to run their food courts. Um, They didn't really understand hospitality. They know how to run their kitchen. They turn into chefs that own restaurants and but. They, and everybody believed that they were a good at business, but they weren't good at business. They had people behind them that were great business people that, that made them look great. And they were getting robbed and they were getting pimped in a sense. 
because they were just focused on one side of the kitchen, the one side of the restaurant, and they didn't understand the rest of it. Um, and I'm not saying you have to be great at everything. What I'm saying is you do not walk into a situation that you don't understand and, and continue to and then bring people on and put other people's lives at risk if you do not understand that. So these business people took advantage of them. And because being part of the restaurant and being a chef was cool, and, and a lot of business people sometimes look at restaurants as amenities, and they just put whatever you want to put in there, and they spend the money for it until they get to a point where they're like, I'm bored, I don't want to put any more money into this, so now you have to start making money. And then it puts the chef in this weird, uncomfortable place because they never had to thought about that before, and now they have to figure it out. And then they put a lot of other people's lives at risk in that process. So I, what I hope to come out of this is that more chefs, chef-owned restaurants, are focused a little bit more on the business side and, and, and being able to spend accordingly to support your community so they can continue to support you and make decisions not for your pockets, just so you can make 150000 a year or 200000 a year, but but actually say, you know what, I'm okay living on 100000 a year, and I'm going to put this other 50000 that I was going to get back into my business so I can hold on to my employees a little bit longer. Those are the things that I would like to see change because I think it was just being pimped for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think now we're going to be forced to be bit more business mind when we think about the restaurant industry. So it's a negative thing for sure. And it sucks with a lot of things that are happening. But I think that there's something greater on the horizon that is now going to put a lot of other things into perspective. When I saw you the other day, I told you that I'm not comfortable yet dining in a restaurant. I'm not alone there, obviously. Uh, You didn't try to convince me otherwise. Um, this is something people are just going to have to come around to on their own, right? 100%. 100%. I think that there's, 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 you know, there's too much at risk right now. You know what I mean? And, and where you can walk out of your door, you see the numbers rising and you see all of these things and, and I'm aware of it. Um, I am us as a business, we're going to do everything in our power to protect uh, and keep everyone safe. Um, and we're going to do the, the, the 100% utmost best of doing that. Now, are there are they possibilities? Absolutely. There's things above our control in a sense, right? Um, we're still trying to understand and learn more about this disease that, uh, as, as we move forward. But the idea to try to convince someone to do something that they don't necessarily want to do, that means that you're negating who they are and their comfort zone and trying to benefit or profit off of that. And I have no business in doing that because your our relationship is way more valuable than you just coming into my restaurant to have dinner. Now, I'm excited about the food that I'm preparing. I want you to come try it out. I want you to enjoy it. I don't want you to experience it. But our relationship is not going anywhere. I'm not planning on going anywhere. You're not planning on going anywhere. When you feel comfortable, come by. I'll be right here waiting. I'll have a glass of wine waiting for you. That's hospitality to me. It's about letting people be who they are and accommodating to the needs. That's, that's why I want to provide that. 
at the end of the day with on both fronts. So you've got the, we'll call it the Black Lives Matter front and the pandemic front. What have you seen that makes you hopeful? Um, well, I've seen a lot of systems changed, right? I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of systems changed in different countries where they're doing different, they're, you know, changing with the police, like um, unnecessary roughness. We're seeing all of these systems starting to go into play. Um, but what's bigger than those laws that, um, that are changing, I don't think it's bigger, but it's just as equal, is, is the, the, the fact that now we are having conversation, right? Me and you are having this, this conversation. This is a big change that has happened in our society. I've been black for all 39 years of my <laughs> life, and I've never been asked the questions that I'm being asked today. Why is that? Right. Because of the situation, because of the change that is happening. That's why it's, that's why it, the questions are being asked and the conversations are being had. And I think we've seen a lot of different things that have happened in the past. We've seen, uh, you know, different injustice happen where man get choked out. I can't breathe. You saw the little. 12-year-old boy getting shot in this neighborhood. You see, all of these things ha happened, but we never had these conversations. So with this movement right now, that's why I think now it's different, because now we're having an honest, truthful conversation, not biased. You're not, we're not trying to make each other feel comfortable. We're actually asking the questions that makes us uncomfortable and us being able to be honest about it and have a full-on, so enlightening people, let's say making people woke. Um, that, is, that, is, that is the beauty that, that, that I want to see continue to happen because to, to, to most people in the world, that's a crazy, horrific thing for someone that goes through it every day. That's Tuesday to us. And, and that's what we're trying to change because for a long time we thought, Tuesday is just a normal day, but it's not. It's a really hard thing. And then there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of insecurities. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of hate that comes from, from that. Being, being afraid makes you hate, and that's, that's powerful. And we don't have to necessarily keep having these tough conversations over and over, but once you've had them, with someone, it changes the dynamic because you know more about them. Yes, and it changes perspective, right? And it changes, and what does perspective um, do? It gives you empathy, right? It gives you understanding. You're more enlightened. You're more aware of what is going on with, with, in someone else's life, someone that you, that you said you cared about before this. So well, what changes, right? Now you're more aware of what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Now you're aware that the system is broken and you're going to do the best that you can to shift that, that, that narrative, right? Now you're going to be more aware of what you say and how you say things and how it affects someone else. And, uh, you know, now you're aware of what you do and where you go eat because 
you see the people that are standing with and you see the people that are silent that is not saying anything whether it's because they feel like they've been saying enough or whether they feel like that's not my fight and I'm staying out of it, which is the biggest problem that we face. And that's why this is, um, the systemic racism and injustice continue to happen because a lot of people say, that's not my fight. I ain't got nothing to do with that. But let's say one of their brothers or sisters or wives or somebody gets hurt or somebody gets attacked or somebody gets pulled over by the cops and shot wrongfully then they'll be awoken. And we don't have to wait for that to happen to be awoke. It's, it, we watch TV, we watch our phones, we talk to so many people. Like, it's just having a conversation and being awoke and doing whatever you can to make a difference in this world you know, before you leave it. That's, that's what we all should be wanting to do. That's not, it doesn't take somebody dying for me to want to do that, man. That's the fucked up part about it. Thank you. All right, thank you very much, man. You can follow Tavel Bristol Joseph on Instagram at Tavel19 and learn more about the Bristol Joseph Culinary Arts Scholarship. You can also find more at emmerandrye.com. Meanwhile, hitting newsstands and mailboxes this week is our July issue, which looks at the future of energy and includes Katie Vine's trip to an auctioneer school. And don't forget that recently we lifted the paywall at texasmonthly.com entirely. You can roam around texasmonthly.com and enjoy everything, including our deep archive absolutely free until the end of the year. And we'd love it if you'd consider subscribing to our show, leaving a comment or rating us wherever you found us, and maybe even telling a friend. I'm Andy Langer, working with producer Brian Standifer. Thanks for being here, and thanks in advance for coming back next time.